Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We are starting a series uh, tonight over the next four weeks called, uh, we're going to call it Pilgrim People. Uh, we're in the Songs of Ascent, uh, a small collection of psalms uh, from 120 to 134, Psalm 120 to 134 in the Bible. Um, we are in the psalms, the psalms... Uh, kind of tend to be a little bit like poems. Um, So my confession tonight is I'm not really good with poetry. Um, You can ask my English teacher when I was at school a long, long, long time ago. Um, It wasn't where I excelled. Um, But we're in the Psalms. They are poetry uh, in many ways, and we're going to engage with uh, a few of these Psalms, four Psalms over the month of Jan. Um, Just before I pray, uh, Christopher Wright, um, he's a... uh, a Bible scholar, a bit of an expert when it comes to the Psalms. He writes this on this particular book. He says, The Psalms is the book where millions of believers, Jews and Christians, down through many centuries have found words for every possible occasion and experience. Words of faith and hope, words of pain and forgiveness, of encouragement and peace. It speaks about God as he truly is and about life as it often is. It speaks to our hearts and lets us speak from our hearts. Uh, We're in Psalms for the next four weeks, and may the Lord uh, bless our times. Let's pray and ask God to to use this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for uh, this new year. Uh, Father, we recognise that we start this new year amidst, uh, in many ways, disaster, um, as so much of our nation in many parts is um, alight with bushfire, Oh Lord, we, we pause at the beginning of this time together now just to remember, Father, the men and women, the families, uh, Father, the livestock, the other animals, etc., who've been caught up in these fires, both here in Adelaide and uh, Kangaroo Island and Victoria, WA, Tasmania, New South Wales. Uh, Father, we, we, we mourn, Father, the loss of property. We mourn, in particular, the loss of life. Uh, Father, we ask that you would comfort those Um, who have lost a lot. Father, we thank you for the men and women who have put their own lives on the line to save property and to care for people. Lord, we pray that you continue to help us, who sometimes can feel a bit hopeless and helpless from a distance, help us to find ways to support um, our fellow countrymen who are struggling. Uh, Lord, we pray against more loss of life. We pray for rain. Uh, Lord, even though there is seemingly no rain on the horizon for many parts of this country, we, we want a miracle, Lord, so we ask that you would rain water on this land. Quench the fires, Father. Uh, stop the loss of life. But Lord, we do pray that in the midst of the calamity and the disaster that people would turn to you. And Father, so we turn to you now as we think about your word. Father, still our hearts quieten our minds. And Father, by your word and through the power of the Spirit, we want to see Jesus tonight. By the power of your Spirit and through your word, we want to hear Jesus tonight. And Lord, by your Spirit and through your word, we want to love Jesus. Uh, Not just tonight, but throughout this whole year until we see Jesus and enjoy him forever. And so we ask, Lord, that you would teach us, change us, strengthen us, encourage us, assure us, By your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
A few days ago now, I forget, it seems like a long time ago, but a few days ago I was out for dinner with um, my wife Adele and another couple, Mike and Karen. Uh, Mike and Karen, long-term friends, uh, and uh, we, uh, they're about to head back to South Africa. They've been serving as missionaries in Namibia, uh, in a part of Africa, um, and they, are, they came back for a while, they're about to head back and uh, serve the Lord in Cape Town in South Africa. Anyway, it was an opportunity for us just to get together, the four of us, their children were looked after by somebody, our children, I don't know who looked after our kids, but they were okay, um, and uh, we went out together, just the four of us, for a meal. And uh, we're good friends, we're having some good banter over some, uh, a glass of wine and, and some good food. And uh, we you know, did that natural thing at the time of year, end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we were sort of reflecting on the year that has gone, 2019. Uh, we're reflecting on the good bits of Christmas, the dangerous parts, of, you know, the, the difficult parts of Christmas where there were some you know, frictions in families and things like that. And then we sort of got to think about you know, 2020, what's ahead? And uh, Karen asked this question, right? Um, she'd read an article and she said, here's the question I want to put to everyone on the table. How do you hope to experience the fullness of joy in Jesus in 2020? How do you hope to experience the fullness of joy in Jesus in 2020? And I've got to say, right, when she asked that question, um, she was anticipating an answer from each one of us. When she asked that question, I was like, I didn't say this, but I was thinking... I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what fullness of joy in Jesus actually kind of is, right? And, and how am I going to do that? Like, how am I going to experience fullness of joy in Jesus in 2020? Anyway, that was sort of rattling around in the backs of our hearts and minds for a little while, and we wrapped up dinner at the particular place up the road here in O'Connell Street, and we walked down or went down for a coffee at a cafe. Anyway, that kind of conversation kind of kicked off again, and uh, Mike was then talking uh, about maybe sort of trying to answer that question. And he said, you know what? I don't know about that question, he said to his wife, Karen. I don't know about fullness of joy in Jesus and doing that myself. And he actually kind of then went on to say, you know, because the Christian life, right, living as a person in this world following the Lord Jesus Christ is actually kind of hard. It's often kind of difficult. And he, he taught me a new word that night over that cup of coffee. The word is schlep. Can you say, can you say that word with me? Schlep. And he kind of said, like, the Christian life and, and sometimes doing Christian ministry is a bit like a schlep. And, and, we sort of, and I was like, what does schlep mean? And if anyone know what schlep means? Yeah, a few people. Let me just, I won't give you the dictionary definition, but the word schlep kind of means difficult, a bit tedious. Uh, you know, schlep is kind of something that feels a bit heavy. It's like you're kind of hauling something along on a journey and it's kind of, kind of weighing you down. Because sometimes being a Christian is like, it's a schlep. And it was like it resonated with me. I don't know, maybe you're going, wow, that, that doesn't feel like that my reality of Christian life at all. But I think it is. Like, and the, the psalm we're in tonight, I think, and I've kind of titled this loosely, God knows that life can be a schlep. That's kind of what I've called tonight. I don't know, that may not sound the most positive way to kick off 2020, um, but I think we'll find some really beautiful stuff here in this psalm. It's the psalms we're looking at over the next four weeks here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. You know, whether they were written for an actual journey or an actual kind of pilgrimage, they do tell a story of pilgrimage, of a journey. They describe a kind of journey that any follower of the living God, any disciple of Jesus Christ themselves could be on. 
So these songs of ascent, these psalms from 123 to 134, most people believe they were a collection of songs written by, composed by God's people in the power of the Spirit that they would sing when they made their way from wherever they were living in the, you know, God's land or even beyond, as they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the big feasts or festivals of God's people, you know, Passover, feasts and tabernacles and things like that. There were songs that as they packed their goods and, I don't know, loaded up the donkey, if you were lucky enough to have one of those, they would, they would basically sing these songs as they ascended or journeyed or pilgrimaged to Jerusalem. It's kind of like, I don't know, whenever you go on a drive these days, I don't know, on holidays, you create like a playlist, you know, like Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music, whatever it is, I don't know. These are the psalms, these are the songs that would have kind of made it onto that Spotify playlist as they made their way to Jerusalem. And this series of psalms we're going to look at, just four, 120, 121, 122, 123, they tell a story. They tell a story of travelling. And the story begins in a world where I don't belong anymore. Or I don't fit in. And it goes through to the protection of the keeper God. You'll hear about that next week. And then ends in the joy of finally arriving at home. But it all starts with this growing kind of homesickness. I don't belong here. Where we find ourselves out of sorts with the surroundings. With it all being a little bit too much to bear. A little schlep, I reckon. And the pilgrims start out in this psalm, they start out in a bad way, in a bad place. And they know it. And they're not afraid to say it. So whether you're a believer here tonight or not, it's important that we feel that distress of the psalmist. So my first point tonight, feel the distress. Hopefully you've got your Bible open in front of you or your device open in front of you. Psalm 120, I'm working out of the NIV. Uh, But verse 1, have a look at verse 1 with me. Feel the distress. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. It's actually better translated in the past tenses. So I called upon the Lord and he answered me. This psalm, although it's not attributed to a particular person or a particular set of experiences, it probably does have its root in some kind of experience particularly. Some scholars suggest it might have been the prophet Nehemiah. You might recall that Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he did that in the face of constant opposition and heaps of hostility. So he was criticised a lot, twisted lies, manipulation. But whoever's experience it was, right, and that started the distress, it's, it's not far from any normal disciple's experience of living in the world. Um, Tim Keller, in his great devotional. If you're looking for a devotional to read this year, by the way, My Rock, My Refuge by Tim Keller is a really good one. He just works his way through the, all the 150 Psalms um, through, you know, day by day. The long ones, he breaks up into little bits. But one of the things he says in the introductory comments is he goes, you know, some of the Psalms we read in the Bible do have a particular kind of context attributed to them. Um, so Psalm 51, David, you know, David's sin against Bathsheba and everyone, including the Lord, that's the context of that. But most of them are written without any, we don't know the particular context of many. So what that enables us to do is kind of read them and, and embrace the, the words ourselves, 
They become our prayers. They can become our, our words that we can feel and articulate to God. But we don't really know what particular experience triggered this particular psalm. But the psalmist is in distress. The question is, what caused the distress? Why is he feeling this way? What caused the distress for the psalmist, for the followers of Yahweh? Look at verse 2. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And I think you can imagine, right, buried deep in the Hebrew original text are a few, I don't know, defamatory tweets and a few kind of brash, unhelpful Facebook posts. But lying lips and deceitful tongues. And at first I think you go, oh, it's a bit relieving. I was expecting something much worse to be the reality for what caused this distress here. You know, truth be told, right, Christians all around the globe probably face far worse today. But then we realise that the Lord doesn't need headline sins to respond. He knows our thoughts and he hears all of our careless, twisted words. Remember the playground saying, Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Words can break. Words can wound very deeply. I know a guy, his name's Bill. Uh, Bill, uh, you know, successful guy, loves the Lord Jesus, successful man, lovely family, all that sort of stuff, done really well, principal of a Bible college now, etc. rah, rah. He, he still remembers a comment that was made to him when he was like six years old. He was on the beach. He'd been making a sandcastle, um, which he thought was pretty good. And his mum walked up to him and just said, you're not very good at making sandcastles, Bill, are you? And it cut him to the core, right? He's, he's, he's this man, right? Doing really well, but he remembers that. It haunts him. It stings him. There'll be plenty of us here tonight who've been on the receiving end of those kind of throwaway comments that really sting, that still haunt us even today. A few years back, I took charge of a a, a local church in Norwood. Um, It was a church that had gone a little sleepy. Um, I walked into that church, um, and under God, praise God, there was a sense of rejuvenation there. One service became two gatherings. We had a a site which was largely kind of unused, disused, and and we renovated a building, and that went really well, and lots of businesses started to use that space, and there was this sense of vitality came back into the place, and the community started getting engaged. The trouble was not all the community really liked it very much. Um, And so there was banter from various members of the community towards me. There was a move made by one particular person with a few supporters. Um, This particular person wrote a letter to the Archbishop of the Adelaide and said, you've got to get rid of Simon Jackson from this church. I quite like the part in her letter where she said, this young evangelical juggernaut needs to go. I thought, that's kind of nice. But at the same time, she she was kind of basically saying, he's disrupting our peace, he's got to go, get rid of him. They kind of didn't, right? Uh, the Lord had other plans of how to move me on from that place. But, um, you know, there was a time as well when I know that I was, my name was put before the council of Norwood, St. Peter's, Paynham, you know, sort of council area, and my, my name was kind of trashed before the council. Hurt. Words hurt. Lies. Deceitful tongues. It hurts. 
Yet countless brothers and sisters in Christ around the world can tell us these days of real persecution, though, can't they? Lying lips and Pakistan's blasphemy laws can easily land you in prison or even before the executioner. Don't expect a safe place or safe space in this world if you're a Christian. Psalms didn't get a safe space, nor will we. To be honest, real life in this real world doesn't offer safe spaces from lying lips and deceitful tongues, whoever you are. Uh, Recently, a few of us gathered together with uh, members of uh, the International Justice Mission, people who serve here in Australia. Um, I had the opportunity to catch up with them in in a separate time, and when I was catching up with these guys, they shared a story about a beautiful, young Nigerian girl who was trafficked into the sex trade on the promise of getting a job as a waitress. Turned out, it was a job in prostitution. It was several months before the International Justice Mission team met her, first of all in Europe. It was several months later before she called on the Lord who answered her and saved her from lying lips and deceitful tongues, praise God. Feel the distress. Psalmist has lived with manipulation of the truth for far too long. Save me, Lord, he cries. Feel the distress. But secondly, grasp the hope. Grasp the hope. Have a look at verse 3. What will he do to you? And what more besides, you deceitful tongue? Do you hear the, do you hear the psalmist kind of brain churning? He's, he's kind of gut wrenching, his heart kind of pounding. He's grappling with the question Surely, God, you won't turn a blind eye to all this that's going on. And then he's worked it out. Verse 4 He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. It's vivid, striking language. For all the damage done by their lying lips and cutting comments, the enemy is outgunned by this warrior's arrows. And the fire of the broom bush is the picture of the Lord's hostility to, to sin, to our rebellion against God and all the little sins that flow off from that rebellion. It's vivid. It's more fact than just sort of venom and bluster and fury. What will he do? What will the living God do? He will punish. That's the promise. That's the promise that we ignore at our peril, that God who made us, who loves us, who created us, will still judge all sin. That's the promise that brings the psalmist, that's the promise that brings this mob of people pilgrimaging up to Jerusalem hope because injustice is wrong, yes? Injustice is wrong. And here's a promise that God will do something about it. The promise we cling to when we're on the receiving end of lying lips and deceitful tongues is that they will not have the last word. And it's a promise with substance. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul spoke to the people in Athens, recorded for us in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The justice that we long for, the justice that we cry out for, is as sure and certain as it is that Jesus walked out of that grave on Easter Sunday. 
the psalmist right he's not the last person to wrestle with the question of how the lord will respond to the hurts and the injustices of life what will god do and he isn't the last person to grasp the wonderful hope that he will he will punish one day he'll sort it all out the psalmist as he goes through the mill the disciple of Jesus is living amongst injustice and lies and deceit as they're seeking in the power of the Spirit to live for Jesus and, and to love like Jesus, to follow Jesus. What will God do? He will punish. It's worth noting, though, at this point, right? You know, here's the psalmist pilgrimaging, realizing he's in a place where he doesn't really want to be, he doesn't really belong anymore. And in many ways, right, we, we, live, we live, you know this, we live in a liberal progressive culture that rejects the idea that God will judge. We reject, they reject it. Our world rejects it. But as you see the, the machinations of life in this liberal progressive culture kind of play out, you see there's like a contradiction. I don't know. I'm not huge into Hollywood and to following all the stars. If you yell out names of superstars or movie stars, I pretty much won't have any idea who you're talking about. But, you know, like in Hollywood, right? Hollywood over the past bunch of years is, is being rocked all the time by sex scandals. And, and Hollywood, rightly, and as we all are, are, are rightly horrified and it's deplorable behaviour. But, you know, at a stroke... Kevin Spacey, a couple of years ago, was just wiped from a film that has been completed and about to be released because of a scandal. Harvey Weinstein, movie producer, gone. But, but the demand is not to see him as someone who is unwell or sick and in need of rehabilitation, but the demand is see him as a predator in need of going to prison. And what will Hollywood do? They'll punish. What will God do? I mean, why do we expect the living God to be any less just? When lying lips of destroyed lives and exploited people and savaged men, women and children all over the world, he will punish. You can bet everything that he will. And so that, that gives the psalmist hope in the midst of his distress. And yet the rest of the psalm comes as like a little bit of a surprise, right? He says, feel the distress, grasp the hope. But then it's almost like he goes back to where he was. He sort of says, taste the despair. My third point, it's, all, it's as if he can't let it go. He's clinging so tightly to the hope because the hurt in him is so deep. However sure of the ending, he says, we still have to live in this present world. And the psalmist won't let us simply skip the distress and, and jump to the hope as if that's all we need to care about. I love it, right? I love that this psalm is here in the Bible. It's in the, the good book of God so that we would sing this song to each other. We'd read this truth together so that we would in part at least get our expectations right about what it really will look like and feel like and be like to live as a follower of Jesus in this world. So that we're not naive. You see what the psalmist writes in verse 5? Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Um, just to get a bit sort of, you know, 
grammar again is good for you, those two verbs like I dwell or to dwell in Meshach and to live among the tents, those two verbs are, in the original language, they kind of convey a temporiness to them. Um, and so you could almost say like, woe to me that I couch surf in Meshach or, and, you know, that I have an Airbnb among the tents of Kedar or something like that. There's this temporiness to it. But there's also, not only is there a temporiness to it, there's also this reality, right? You cannot live in Meshech and Kedar at the same time. They're like hundreds of kilometres apart. So there's something symbolic going on here. Kedar actually has this sense of darkness. You know, here the psalmist is, is kind of capturing for us that feeling that if, you, you know, if you're here tonight and you're a follower of God, as disciples of Jesus, that you just feel like a little bit at odds with the culture around you. You know, society at odds with the people of God. And the psalmist lived in that world. He lived in that sort of darkness, like some kind of resident alien, always on the edge of the culture around. You know, and hundreds of years later, right, thousands of years later, Peter will write to a group of Christians scattered throughout the, you know, Asia Minor in the first century, and he'll say to this group of Christians who've come to know Jesus by the grace of God, put their trust in his finished work on the cross, Peter will say, you know what you guys are? You're chosen exiles. You're sojourners. You're strangers. On your way to the promised land, but for now, you're strangers. You're kind of just passing through. I love that. Chosen by God before the foundation of the world to know Jesus, to be in Jesus, to be raised with Jesus, to enjoy all the good benefits of what's to come. But for now, you, you, well, you dwell in Meshech, you dwell in the tents of Kedar, you're not home yet. You're Christians, right? All around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they've lost education, they've lost freedom, they've lost their jobs. Why? For faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The statistics show today that Christian people are the most persecuted people on planet Earth. And a brother or sister in Christ who knows what it's like to feel what it's like to be on the outer, I think they'd sing these words with wonderfully deep feeling. Woe is me. Have you said that before? I can't remember the last time I said, woe is me. And woe is me, though, is that... With that deep sigh of weariness. I want to be home. It's not the tut-tutting, you know, the superficial Christian climbing on their moral soapbox, kind of pointing fingers at people who aren't doing the right thing. It's a sigh of weariness. See the next verse? Too long. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. This basically says, I've had enough. Can't take it anymore. Imagine what it would be like if we faced real persecution in this city, in this country. Day after day, you're wondering where the next hit's going to come from. Will it be me? Will it be my wife? Will it be someone in our church? In verse 7, I am for peace, the psalmist writes, but when I speak, they are for war. I mean, do you know, do you know anything of that? When you're not trying to stir others up, right, you know, I am for peace, literally, I am peace. Peace is like my middle name, not really, but, you know, peace is like my middle name. But there are some people out there, right, whatever you do or say, it's like you've just sparked, like, World War Three with them. Like, it's just, bam, 
antagonistic. Woe is me, too long. So the psalmist is saying to us, the people, our people of old, are saying, feel the distress, grasp the hope, taste the despair. The psalmist wants us to do all these things. Why? Because when you do all those things, you'll grow in you an appetite to meet the one who hears our cries. Who hears our cries. See, hundreds of years after this psalm was written and many years after this song, year after year would have been sung, came the one who would taste it in full. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yet Jesus, right, he, was, he knew all about lying lips and deceitful tongues, yeah? Um, he knew about lying lips and deceitful tongues even when he was still in the womb. You know, the hush whispers around, he's, he's illegitimate. You know, he's an illegitimate child. He knew about lying lips and deceitful tongues, right? All the way through his ministry where people you know, asked him trick questions, mocked him, accusations, you're actually doing the work of the devil on behalf of him. The lying lips, the deceitful tongues which caused his execution through that rigged trial. And we know full well, right? Jesus was just mocked every step of the way he took to the cross on Calvary where he laid down his life for you and for me. Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, walked this psalm for himself. That's why the writer to the Hebrews claims, Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not Sin. Makes such a difference to have someone who understands, doesn't it? Woe is me, sighs the psalmist, and Jesus knows that sigh. Jesus wasn't a tut tutting, moralizing, religious guy. He wept for Jerusalem. He wept for Jerusalem for the judgment that she would face. He cried out for her. I am peace. I mean, Jesus, right? He could say that more than any other human being to ever walk the planet in history. He already find they are for war. Crucify him. Crucify him was their cry. And a robber, a murderer, Barabbas, he got their vote. I don't know where you're at at this time of year, 2020, just begun, five days in, can you believe it? It already seems like the year's kind of out of control already with all the events that are going on just around us, let alone maybe in your life. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe distress and despair right now is real for you, sense of which I feel a bit of it myself. But surely if I was going to cry out to anyone, it would be this Lord. This Lord Jesus, the Lord who understands. That's why the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
I don't know what sort of journey you might be on right now. I don't know what the pilgrimage is like. Maybe you're a bit like me and it all feels a little bit like it's schlep. It's all a bit sort of hard. It's all a bit difficult. Time's a bit tedious. Sometimes I feel like I'm carrying or hauling something heavy over my shoulder. I don't know, maybe that's you. Perhaps you feel like you're a bit alone here tonight. Perhaps for whatever reason you feel like you are a long way from God and yet you really want to come back. Well, he's the one to come back to. And there's nothing you'll need more than his mercy and his grace. Or maybe it's, as we start the year, a bit more of a communal thing. You know, for us here as a church at City Light Church, North Adelaide, we're here together under God where we're seeking to build a community of Jesus Christ in the midst of a community of North Adelaide and the inner north. And we're in the middle of those who, who really just don't want to know. In the middle of those maybe who resent the fact that we actually even are here. Those who see us as an interference or those who go, well, we can't get rid of them, so we'll just kind of try to neutralise them. How do we keep on going? How do we face another year, 2020, as a church, building community in the name of Jesus? Well, I want to say tonight, only with buckets of mercy and lashings of grace to help us in times of need. Well, here's where the journey starts, at least for us for the next four weeks, as pilgrim people in these songs of ascent. We kind of start in the dark. You feel that. Start kind of with the distress. We start kind of at the end of our tether. And yet here is the surprise of the psalm. God understands. Despite all the chaos, despite all of that, God understands. And our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, walked the walk himself. He knows what it's like. What more can I expect from him? What more can we expect from God in 2020? Well, that's next Sunday's song. And that's Mark's responsibility. <laughs> so pray for him. <laughs> but right now, it would be good for us just to cry out to the one who understands and the one who answers. So let's just be still for a moment in the quietness of our hearts and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's be still and I'll lead us. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are with us tonight. By your spirit, that you're with us this year, by your spirit. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, in your Son, the Lord Jesus, you, you, you know what it is like to be distressed. Lord, you know personally what it's like to be the victim of lies and deceitful tongue. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you, in the midst of all those things, did not sin. And so as, Lord, you walked 
to the cross in the person of your son, Father. We thank you that Jesus, despite the fact that he was mocked and spat on and hurled abuse at, Father, he continued on willingly and obediently in laying down his life for men and women and kids like us who desperately needed forgiveness and a saviour. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for your mercy. We thank you and praise you for your grace that you have met us in our time of need by saving us. But we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you continue to meet us with your grace and your mercy in our ongoing times of need. Father, help us to start this year with right expectations, to remind of the fact that we live not where we ought to be. We are not at home. We know that home is not far away, but help us, Father, in the midst of living in this place to continue to trust you, to continue to live for you, motivated and filled with your mercy and grace, holding out the truth of Jesus to all who those around us. And Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.